0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live.
1: Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Robin Gavon, senior critic at large. Joining me today is the CEO of Tapestry, Joanne Cravoisera. Sorry about that. I'll say it again. Joanne as uh, She is the chairman of the New York-based Tapestry, which includes Stuart Weitzman, Coach, and Kate Spade. Joanne, thank you so much for joining me and pardon that slip up over your last name.
0: no worries robin i've I've heard it all before. I married that name <laughs> over thirty three years ago, so uh, I'm used to it. It's great to be here with you. Thank you for having me
1: before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that we'd love to hear from you. so please uh, you can. Um, send us your comments and questions by tweeting uh, at post live and hopefully we'll be able to even get to a couple of your questions so Joanne I wanted to uh, start uh, sort of a couple years back at the beginning of the pandemic uh, you were originally the CFO uh, beginning in August of 2019 and then you became the the CEO and it It often seems like uh, women ascend to the top job just as uh, businesses are experiencing some kind of peril. So I'm curious to know what were the initial uh, thoughts, reactions as you realized uh, what the pandemic meant for business?
0: Well, it was an interesting time. And I would say tapestry As an executive team, we were in the process of preparing for change and transformation. When I joined, as you mentioned, in 2019 as the CFO, we recognized as an executive team the need for us to change the way we did business so that we could amplify and accelerate our performance behind all three of our brands, Coach Kate Spade and Stuart Weitzman. And so as we thought about that, even pre-pandemic, we said, you know, we want to be ready to do business in what we called at the time, the new world of retailing. And that world to us looked like a world where consumer trends were changing much faster. The speed of change was happening faster and faster um that consumers were more digitally connected and there was much more innovation in terms of data and analytics in our space and we had an infrastructure that we knew we could rely on and and use and leverage more to connect with consumers and that environment required us to be more responsive as an organization so we were focused on harnessing the power of our organization the power of our capabilities to, to move faster, and to your point, that the pandemic only amplified those, those trends. The consumer was changing rapidly through the, tr- uh, through the pandemic, both with the social unrest, as well as the changes to their shopping behaviors, being more digital um, and, and wanting to be more connected to brands whose values they shared. So um, a lot of the work we had done early in the pandemic was preparing us actually to perform in the pandemic and even more importantly, perform now that we're coming out of the pandemic and meeting consumers in new places.
1: You you mentioned the speed at which fashion is changing and how that affects the retail environment. I mean, the pressures for that kind of change. I mean, do you look towards uh, fast fashion? Are you looking at social media? I mean, what are the, the factors that are really causing that incredible speed up?
0: Well, you know, our, our focus is to stay close to our consumers, and you know what we're seeing is values really matter. And one of the things that we have done over the past three years is really get focused on the values of each of our brands and get become more clear in how we communicate the values of the brand. That's that's been one um, part of the transformation. So communicating what and how you communicate with consumers has become so much more important. Um, and then as you stay close to consumers, the things they value and what they're looking for from a brand in terms of product. We've gone through incredible transformation over the last couple of years in just how the consumer's thinking about casualization and now how they're thinking about re-engaging with the real world. And in order to perform as a fashion brand, you have to be close to the consumer and stay ahead of that prefer- those preferences and be able to bring the creativity that we all bring to our business. Um, into product and innovation in product that the consumer will really value and, and that will be part of their life. Um, we are not focused actually on fast fashion and, and our brands, all of them, uh, stand for high quality product. And, and it's interesting because we create our products really one at a time. They are. Um, crafted to last and we, we know that the consumer appreciates that about our brands and we see consumers choosing our brands because of that, that, that fact that they, can, they know these are, these are handbags or footwear that they're going to have with them for a long time that will stand the test of time but that also strike that great emotional chord that, that they're you know, really pleased to, to bring into their wardrobes and, and wear.
1: I know in your recent earnings uh, report, uh, you projected uh, revenue of something I think, believe $8 billion by 2025. And I mean, I think we all know that the average consumer doesn't necessarily need a new handbag or a new pair of shoes, uh, regardless of how fabulous they might be. I mean, how are you looking to um, propel that kind of growth?
0: Yeah, well, we're looking at uh, growth across all of our brands and across all of our geographies. We, we operate a globally diversified business and we see new consumers coming and engaging with our brands, particularly younger consumers. So, you know, we're not, we're focused on delivering products, as I mentioned earlier, that are crafted to last. I asked actually in one of our stores, we were talking to a store manager about why she loved, we were in a coach store, why she loved working at coach. And she, she said three reasons. You know, the first is this team is my family. And the second is I feel that I'm empowered to run my business and supported. But the third part of that story was, and I know that I'm selling a product, a beautiful product that our customers will take home for them with them and have for a lifetime. And our brands actually live longer than a lifetime. Um, we have a relove love program with, with Coach where we repair, we refurbish. Um, so we're putting product in the marketplace that is t- to my earlier point, crafted to last. But we're also introducing this to more consumers around the globe and increasingly a younger consumer who cares and aligns with the values of our product. Um, and again, uh, those are products that those customers can wear confidently uh, forever.
1: I mean, you mentioned that younger consumers and, and they are uh, increasingly concerned about uh, the impact that fashion has on the environment. Um, many of your brands focus on leather goods. I mean, how are you balancing uh, those in some ways competing ideas, uh, the emphasis on leather goods, but also uh, trying to be a good citizen of the environment.
0: Yeah, our, our business is, you know, our so, what we call our social fabric has been part of our business uh, from the beginning. And our social fabric talks about um, our focus on our people um the planet and our communities. And we we are executing our ESG initiatives really as part of the fabric of our business.
1: It's it's so important. I'm sorry, Joanne, could you ESG? What, what does that stand for?
0: Environmental, social and governance. Um, sorry about that. I, <laughs> I hate to use terminology, but but that is the that is the bucket that many investors actually ask us about. And and it, it is about sustainability and, and how we think about it. And as I mentioned, we have three pillars to our sustainability uh, programs that have to be part of the fabric of who we are as a company. Um, and, and those three pillars are around our people and, and, and making sure we're driving a diverse and inclusive workplace. Uh, as well as impacting the communities around us. Um, and the planet is about our sustainability focus and how we think about and how we're moving forward to make a positive impact. You know, we've committed to uh, procuring 100% renewable energy in all of our owned operations, and we have a longer term commitment to driving net zero uh, emissions by 2050. Um, or sooner, no later than 2050. So we are working on the things that matter and make a difference. We've done some work um, on traceability and mapping of our raw materials. You mentioned leather. Leather is a key component of our product and it is a material that lasts. And and right now it is a byproduct um, of the meat industry, but we're also experimenting with other materials and sustainable materials that we're incorporating more and more into our, into our bags, things like recycled polyester and um, environmentally preferred materials. So we'll continue to test and learn behind that. Um, we're aggressively moving in that direction and we're staying importantly in touch with what our consumers are looking for from us. And, and that's our focus. We wanna make sure we're managing our business in a sustainable way, it matters for frankly, risk management in the supply chain, but it also matters because we wanna do the right thing for the, for the environment, for our planet. And we wanna stay close to our consumers and deliver goods that they expect, which are high quality, long lasting goods that they can be proud to wear.
1: Um, you mentioned the the supply chain, and you know that is certainly something that is top of mind for anyone in um, in manufacturing production. I you mean, know, how is that? Um, how are you dealing with the supply chain now, uh, particularly uh, with the zero COVID policy in China? And how are you balancing that with um, you know the things that you mentioned, trying to reduce that carbon footprint?
0: Well, we, uh, you know, we have seen profound disruption in the supply chain. Our industry is working through, I think, disruptions that, you know, at least in my career, have never been um, as challenging as it has been the last couple of years. We manage a globally diversified supply chain, which certainly helps us navigate. Uh, starts and stops, Uh, you mentioned zero COVID, Uh, actually very little of our production is in China where uh, that policy has had some disruption, Um, But we've experienced disruption around the world, as has our industry, and navigating that has been challenging. I think having a a diverse footprint has helped. We have flexibility that we're able to move manufacturing uh, around when we see disruption. Um, And our team has proven um, the ability and the agility to to manage through all of the the changes and disruptions that we've had, and actually we we've driven growth above pre-pandemic levels, even with all of all of that disruption. And I think you know, as as we think about the supply chain and managing it, uh, globalization and scale is important, but that diversity and that footprint. Uh, is important for us to have flexibility and risk management as as we're managing through the environment. So um, those are all critically important, um, and we're building on our proven capabilities in that area for even more flexibility.
1: I know for the luxury market, you know, Russia was always uh, a point of big consumption how how is the the russian war in, in ukraine affecting your sales there have you like other companies pulled out or yeah what's go what's happening with that
0: we you know at tapestry we had very little business in russia actually we had a small wholesale business and we have um stopped shipping into that into that market Um, And, you know, we look at the at the world um, and the appetite for luxury goods as, you know, uh, an opportunity for us. Um, But that is not a a large opportunity. Where we see our business um, building, we have real strength in North America um, and we have strength in China and Japan. And and Europe is a good business, although we are not as penetrated in the European market. Um, And so, you know, we have a lot of confidence in our ability to continue to drive growth, particularly in the luxury goods market in North America, in our key markets of North America and China. And, you know, China has had tremendous disruption over the past year, um, but we continue to see uh, opportunity long-term in that market as well as the rest of Asia and in Europe and in Japan. Um, so, you know, a global footprint, just not a, n- n- not much business at all in, in Russia.
1: You know, you mentioned Europe. I've always been curious that, um, you know, American luxury brands uh, don't usually have an enormous footprint in Europe. And I- I'm wondering if there are particular Cultural reasons, traditional reasons why that might be the case. I mean, Europe is sort of known as uh, you know the ground zero for a lot of luxury fashion businesses. Is some of that just sort of they are protective of their own?
0: <laughs> um I, I you know that's an interesting question. you know, what we see in Europe, we've learned a lot actually over the last few years with the disruption. It's been an opportunity for us to really learn about our business. Um you know, we had a pretty big uh, tourist business in in Europe. Um, it was driven by a lot of uh, a lot of tourism in the market. and certainly when Covid happened in the market for tourism the tourists weren't showing up at the same level we had to rethink you know how we thought about our business and we have actually begun you know we've been driving growth again our penetration there it's less than 5% of our business so we have tremendous opportunities still in the market but we've begun driving significant growth um, as we've leaned into talking to a domestic consumer, and if you think about our products, our products represent tremendous value in the marketplace compared to the traditional European luxury players who have, you know, continued to take price up. Our mm-hmm. our products um, represent a tremendous value, always have, and even more now. And we're getting better at speaking to the domestic consumer in Europe. and and meeting them both in stores, but also in digital channels. And that has has really unlocked um, strong growth in the market.
1: Yeah, the digital channels, I mean, does that mean that for you, the brick and mortar uh, sites are sort of going the way of the, the dodo? I mean, are you really <laughs> moving away from that and putting it all into online?
0: yeah that's a um an, a question that I hear frequently, and you know what i what I like to say is digital is an and not an or because you know leaning into digital is is leveraging the capabilities that we've invested in over time and meeting the customer where they are and and to me it's not about whether a customer chooses to shop only in online or in store the consumer is is becoming more omni-channel connected, and they may start their journey in a digital space. Dis- from discovery to purchase to advocacy, that happens over a continuum. And it it could start online and end with a purchase in a physical store, um, or it could start in a physical store and end with a purchase online. It could start on social media. We've become better at engaging consumers and actually transacting on social media. So there are a number of different paths the consumer may take, and our focus at Tapestry is to follow the consumer, to meet the consumer where they are and provide a seamless and consistent experience for that consumer, regardless of where they engage our brands. Now certainly during the pandemic, when stores were closed, the consumer was shopping online and, and that was, um, you know, that's that's how they could engage with our brands. Um, but importantly, the store represents an important physical touch point. And I think even most importantly, they have an opportunity, the consumer, to to connect with our associates when they're in a store environment. And, and, and in fact, that has been a real uh, differentiator, I think, for our business because our associates are such passionate brand ambassadors. Even when stores were closed, our customer was reaching out to our associates for engagement. So we've we've begun and our associates are beginning to become influencers of their own right, meeting consumers, not only in a physical store, but also in virtual spaces. And, and that I think has potential even more to amplify our brands and, and, and blurs the lines even more between the digital and the physical.
1: I know one of the biggest uh, areas of turnover in terms of employee wise, employees I uh, was in the area of retail. You know, how are you finding um, uh, hiring, hiring new associates, retaining associates, uh, training them so that they understand the product and they are able to engage with customers? I mean, are you having those same kinds of hurdles uh, in hiring employees the, uh, that so many other yeah. industries are?
0: Yeah, in fact, we are not seeing the same challenges that others are. And and I believe it's because we have a long history of recognizing the power of our associates and rewarding them. You know, our store managers receive equity. They're owners of our business. And I walk into stores today and I I talk to associates who have 8, 10, 12 years of experience with our brands. And that I know from my over 35 years in this industry is unusual. Um, and I, there's a passion that our teams have behind our brands, and we've rewarded that. We, you know, we reward that with how we pay. Uh, you know, when when all of our stores shut down in the pandemic, we continued to pay our associates. And today, even when I go to our to our stores and 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 I'm in stores quite frequently, I hear from our associates how much they valued that experience. They still talk to me about the way the company treated them during the, the pandemic is something they'll never forget. And, and they have a passion and a commitment and a level of engagement that is, you know, in the top quartile of our industry. And that is what powers our business and that is what powers our brands.
1: You, you mentioned that sometimes your store uh, associates uh, are sort of micro influencers, but recently you signed on with perhaps the influencer of influencers uh, with Kim Kardashian, now the brand ambassador for Stuart Weitzman. I am curious, how, how much can Kim Kardashian sell? I mean, she's out there a lot. <laughs> yeah so
0: we think about our influencer strategy in multiple tiers right we have a big um celebrity influencer that has large reach and and get and drives awareness for our brands but we also have influencers who represent our brands and you know even micro influencers so it's not just one touch point of the brand um, and, and you mentioned our store associates. Uh, our store associates are passionate about our brands and they've, they've begun engaging in social media in and of their own. And so they're creating followings. Uh, our customers can be passionate advocates for our brands and they influence uh, many. Um, but it, you know, as we think about, and as we talked about our business over the last few years, it, it has been about getting close to our customer, but it's also been about brand building. And we want to make the investments behind our brands that drive growth and health for the long-term. And and we have changed our, our P&L to focus on that. We've, we've generated a lot of efficiencies in our business and we're driving higher operating profit, but we're doing that also with higher marketing spend so that we can continue to invest in our brands and ensure that we, as I said, protect them and help them grow for the long-term. And when we think about an investment like Kim Kardashian, um, we, we do it with, a stri- with strategic intent. Um, Stuart Weitzman is a real gem of a brand. Our customers love the brand for the fashion and for the comfort and fit that it provides. But Stuart Weitzman has an opportunity to drive awareness. It has low awareness in the markets where it trades. So uh, if, if you're trying to build, as we are with that brand awareness, higher awareness for our brand, particularly with the younger millennial consumer, there's no better investment than we can make, we believe. Then with Kim Kardashian, who will help, help us amplify the brand, let lots of people know about it. And we know that when consumers come to our brand, we have their 70%, uh, there's a 70% um, that they'll return to the brand. So to know the brand is to love the brand. And we think this will help more people know the brand.
1: I mean, I'm always curious about the impact of social media and influencers. I mean, do you get to a point where someone like uh, Kim Kardashian or, uh, you know, Jennifer Lopez, who has been uh, an ambassador for Coach, where their impact becomes just too diluted?
0: Well, authenticity is important uh, as it relates to influencers and the customer today. And the customer understands when uh, a brand is authentically showing up in their feed. So it is important for us to find influencers who authentically connect with our brands. And Jennifer Lopez authentically connects with Coach, has been part of the Coach story for decades, honestly, from, from her video back in the 80s. Um, till all the way through today, she's very authentic. New York um, celebrity, yes, but authentic to coach, and and I think that's why it works. She also speaks to multiple generations and multiple ages, uh, so we feel great about our partnership with Jennifer Lopez, and we're looking forward to the impact that Kim Kardashian will have with with Stuart Weitzman.
1: Well, I would love. to to ask, um, since you were recently uh, appointed to the board of GM, um, if there are lessons that uh, the auto industry can learn from the fashion industry?
0: Well, it's a tremendous honor uh, to join the GM board, given their focus on innovation and the transformation um that they're driving you know their ambition to become all electric with a vision for a world with zero crashes zero congestion uh and and uh zero emissions is is certainly something that i'm i'm proud to be a part of and and i'm looking forward to being part of those discussions and, you know, as I draw from my own experience at how to engage consumers with brands and brand building, you know, I, I hope to to bring that to, to the company and, and drive that brand loyalty uh, and engage with consumers in, in new ways.
1: And as we wrap up, I would love if you could look into your crystal ball and um, give us a sense of uh, what you see to be the future of retail, and in your perfect world, what would it look like?
0: So we just rolled out our our three year, as you mentioned, our our three year ambition, and and we talk about we we've called it future speed, um, and and what I see happening is consumer trends moving faster and faster, and. Uh, To win in retail and to win in fashion, I I believe that we have to stay close to our consumer and we have to move with agility to drive innovation at every touch point of our, our brands. And we've engineered our organization to be able to deliver for our consumers wherever and however they choose to engage with our brands. That's whether it be in a digital space or a physical space. Um, and to really talk about the purpose and the drivers behind our company as Tapestry, as well as each of our brands, because that is how consumers emotionally connect with brands. And that's our focus at Tapestry and we're, we're looking forward to making it happen.
1: Well, I very much appreciate your time today, Joanne. That's all the time that we unfortunately have. Um, so thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Robin. A real pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.